Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. Hey everyone, in today's episode I talk to Mr. Dan Knowlton, who is co-founder with his brother of Knowlton Marketing. This was a great episode. I have seen Dan's content around online for quite a while now and I was really chuffed to get him on the podcast. Very knowledgeable, very wise guy and I think that you'll really get a lot out of this one. If this is your first time here, welcome. I wish you a very warm welcome to Thank You Interview. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, let me know your favorite bits on social media at Thank You Interview everywhere. Um, I'm sure Dan would like to know too. And don't forget to hit subscribe or follow, you know, whatever it is, wherever you're listening to it. It would also mean the world to me and no doubt Dan too, if you share this episode far and wide. There is so much value in it. Like Dan really didn't hold anything back and I think there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of good ideas that you take away from it. Uh, and if not you, I know that there'll be someone you know who would benefit from hearing it. So make sure to let them know. Anyway, enough of me rambling. Now onto the podcast. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time on uh, to come on this podcast. I really appreciate it. I think as I just mentioned to you, I'm looking forward to hearing your story uh, about what, you, what you've been up to. And... I'm ready to crack on with the 10 questions if you are. Yeah, yeah, pleasure to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. It's my honour, it's my honour. Right, number one, you meet a stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? That's a good question. Um, I'd probably say we, I run a creative video and social media marketing agency that produces creative content for social and runs paid social media ads to drive trackable e-commerce sales, um, leads, app downloads, website traffic, brand awareness, all that good stuff. And also co-host the Business Anchors podcast, which is where my brother and I sit down every week. He's also my business partner. And we do something similar to this and have a chat about lessons that we're learning whilst growing our business and mistakes we're making. It's very informal and uh, we take the piss out of each other. And yeah. It's it's pretty fun. That's that's how I'd answer that. What um what came first, the business or the podcast? The business. Okay. Yeah, the podcast was an experiment we did in February 2020. Okay. We we always like to focus at least kind of 20% of our marketing resource on trying something completely new, and at that point it was the podcast, which now equates to, well, contributes to uh, almost all of our revenue in some capacity in terms of people, new clients mentioning that they've listened to it. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's a pr- that's a pretty good ROI on a, on an idea, <laughs> then, right? Yeah. Well, it's it took us a year of producing the podcast on a weekly basis to eventually win our first kind of six figure contract from the podcast. But that first year, we lost a lot of money, made uh, a small, you know, one of a couple of small contracts. But we put a huge amount of resource because we produced it on video. We made a studio. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it took a whole year of doing that every week, it not working that well to eventually <laughs> start working. How how close were you to like packing it in and drawing a line under it? Not close. Okay. <laughs> but the reason was because we've we've both got long term mindsets with everything we're doing and we saw right. the incremental growth. Yeah. So it was fairly inconsistent at the start, but then it started to slowly incline in terms of like downloads, number of hours people were listening, the reaction we were getting on social, people sharing it and the kinds of things they were saying. So although it didn't initially drive lots of new business, we saw the signs 
that it was going to. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, listen, I, I do listen to your podcast pretty regularly. For those who don't, how do I phrase this? Like, have you gone out of your way to be different to most marketing podcasts? Was that, was that an active decision? Yeah. So, so, so we basically saw the reason we did that 20% test, it wasn't just by accident. We saw a gap in the market because Lloyd and I uh, listened to, or let the time listen to a lot of audio books, a lot of podcasts, and we saw the power of audio. And, yeah. but in the kind of marketing charts, there was regularly lots of very informative podcasts, you know, how to grow an audience on social, how yeah. to do SEO, all of that stuff. It's very informative and educational. And there was lots of interview style podcasts, but there wasn't anything that we really kind of got excited to listen to at the weekend or something that we'd like be chilling and think, oh yeah, I'm going to listen to that. So we, we, want, we saw an opportunity to create a, a business and marketing podcast that was really informative and taught our listeners stuff, but at the same time was very informal and uh, not corporate and fun to listen to and kind of no BS. It was, it was just my brother and I sitting down and being honest about what's going on behind the scenes. And that was the opportunity we saw and we kind of took it and started the podcast. No, mate, a great job you've done with it too. Um, you've got a good rapport, you and your brother. And I think it comes across well. And I, yeah, I, I'd encourage others to listen to it though. Who's into marketing? I think it's, um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think there's a lot out there that's very, kind of feel harsh saying this but a bit dry maybe mm. or is so focused on the educational aspect that it loses the entertainment aspect yeah because I, I think we, we listen to a lot of other podcasts like um jack mates happy hour yeah i used to like to the true po geordie podcast where it's a lot more kind of entertaining and fun so we wanted to kind of combine that with yeah you know we we we've learned quite a lot in the marketing and business space so we wanted to share that and combine it together and then, so has, yeah. has there been any combination then from like where you've learned that stuff for driving your podcast and the stuff you're doing from a business perspective? Has there been any crossover where clients have come to you and said, can you do for us what you've done for yourself? In terms of podcasting? Yeah. Yeah, we have had a number of opportunities sort of come our way. Um, uh, but in terms of like the volume of what we do isn't that. Most right. of what we do is creating con like video or visual content for social and running paid social campaigns for bigger brands. It's, it's not so much like come to us and we'll make your podcast, but it's certainly something we've got the skills and resource in-house to do. I guess we've never really pushed ourselves as a company that would do that. Although we could, yeah. um, it's not something we've really pushed, but we've, we have had a few, interestingly, we had, uh, quite a large com tobacco company <laughs> come to us, uh, wanting us to, build them a set and produce a podcast for them but we couldn't work with them just because we they were not aligned with our values and we didn't want to work with a tobacco company but i was just that, gonna say i just wonder where <laughs> you're gonna go with that story because i've obviously been researching you and yeah and although i followed you for a while now i didn't realize how important the whole kind of values that you do apply to your business mm. are to you yeah. And for anyone who, I mean, you can go on your website and there's a, there's a video on there about alignment and stuff, but hmm. I guess that's hard, isn't it? As a small business to turn down sort of that kind of business. It is, but it, you know, we, we could just, and that's the one of many, like we've had opportunities from big well-known betting companies, political parties, 
that we and big opportunities that we've turned down and it, it is difficult but I think the same thing we always go back to is like we want to be able to sleep at night yeah. <laughs> we want to uh, build a company that actually does genuinely have a positive impact on not just us and our team internally <clears throat> but the wider community and the planet we we genuinely do want that to happen so even these uh, big opportunities that have come our way you know it would be just it wouldn't be sort of us living our values if we just were like yeah we'll take a hundred grand to help you tobacco company um although it's challenging at times because even you know because because we're trying to have a positive impact on the wider community and our internal team you know if a company wants to pass huge amounts of money it, it really provides security for our team and we can invest in them but at the same time that's having a huge negative impact on society as a whole you know encouraging people to smoke so it's like it's constantly trying to weigh up that battle of making decisions so we are ensuring we're having that positive impact on and that's why we've got a positive impact plan which we've spoken a lot about in our podcast and is it a battle do you like when these opportunities arise is it just a blanket you know you see the you know the email it's like sorry no thanks or or does it does it ever sort of go further than that and it's actually a conversation maybe internally as opposed to with the client there's levels so Anything that's obvious, like a tobacco company or a betting company, that, it, that clearly a company that's not aligned with our values, it's it's not even really a discussion. We sort of mention it like, oh, look, they've, like, this is an opportunity, but obviously we can't do it. But then I guess there's there's other kind of gray areas where we need to look in, do a bit more research to look into like, oh, is this company actually aligned with our values? Because it might not be so clear, uh, you know, on, on the surface level and it, it requires a bit more research to really think about that and discussion but there is yeah. levels yeah are you, are you guys you're not b corp are you no it's it's funny you say that um i've been looking a lot more into that recently and uh yeah it's, it's certainly something we'd consider in the future we're not we're not at the moment but okay yeah it's um it's quite a process by the sound yeah i think it yeah from reading up into it it's it is quite a lengthy process and but it looks it from from the outset it looks like something that is really positive um i think it needs a lot of thought a lot of planning to ensure that you get it right uh because if we if and when we did go for that we'd want to ensure we did get it because i think you have you have to get a certain amount of points 80 something out of 200 or something like that when i read up right. the other day um, and it's a lot of resource to to do it but you know we'd want to make sure we did do it so I guess yeah. ultimately, if if you as a company you are living the values you're preaching anyway, mm. I mean that's that's a step in the right direction, isn't it? That's a that's a key thing. Yeah, it's a step in the right direction. I think we're we we always say like we're not perfect. We're just trying to constantly improve what we're doing to to become to have a more positive impact um, on all kind of elements of of our business and the external. Uh, society as a whole so it's a constant journey to get there um but there, there, there's small things we've made like we've got an internal positive impact crew that meets every two months where we look at small things we can do internally with our company within our company to keep improving and that helps drive drive change forward rather than us just saying let's do we should be doing good stuff we're actually meeting about it discussing it and, and making actions to do that um but we, we haven't we've, we've been doing this stuff for quite a while now but we haven't really spoken about it publicly until fairly recently right um so let me ask you a question then where, where does this come from because well, you're a smaller company right mm -hmm. and I, mean, I don't know if you have or not but i mean i've worked in bigger companies where 
you know you get the hr email round and they'll say mm. about, you know you can do do your csr day and you can do this and that and the other and it's and it's mm. almost like a little bit of a tick box exercise for big mm. companies to i don't know keep engage, employee engagement high or whatever where, where does it come from from you like what what, what drives this what's 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 behind it mm. good question I guess it's us just actually wanting to uh it's that feeling of knowing that what we're doing is is impacting everything we impact in a positive way right um i think initially so and, and this has been a journey as well by the way so when, when we started seven years ago our number one focus was just uh you know bringing enough business in to survive yeah. <laughs> basically this was not a consideration at all um at that stage but as we've over the years, as we've sort of honed our craft and we've built a really great team of creatives and we've delivered better work and we've we've really got a kind of stable business where we know what our value proposition is to the world, we got to a point where we we were comfortable in what we were doing, but we wanted to I guess it's just it just just lots of Lloyd and I go for a lot of walks and talks. <laughs> and this is the kind of thing that came up early on. And we started to discuss it and then we started to discuss it more. And then it was a case of we're talking about this quite a lot. So we should really be trying to push this further even more. And it, and then, yeah, it's kind of that, that's sort of how it's grown, really organically. Think of us both being more aware of our business and the impact it's having. Um, yeah. So there's no there, there's not like a very specific like when I was a child, I uh something happened to me and i wanted <laughs> to do this so <laughs> it's been like more of a journey well i guess that segues us quite nicely onto question number two mm. um which is when you were a kid what did you want to be when you grew up oh that's a really good question did you want to be a tiktok superstar no oh no i definitely didn't <laughs> No, i didn't even know what marketing was then um mm, I, I do you know thinking back i always remember not knowing what i wanted to do which is okay. which is like the opposite answer to what you want but i remember uh being in sixth form and you those careers people like do it you, you get interviewed by these careers people like what do you want to do and i i just never knew what i wanted to do but i get i guess in terms of sort of industry or the theme of what i wanted to do i always really looked up to and still do look up to my dad who's always been in business um, okay. he like ran a big, uh, furniture manufacturing company, um, uh, years ago. And then he started his own consultancy business. And I guess business inverted commas, uh, as a whole was like, Oh, I like sitting, my dad's done well, maybe some, I can do something in business, but that's very general. Um, but I went on to do business management with marketing at uni and, uh, yeah, so so I, I didn't I didn't know I didn't want to be like a fireman or anything like that. I was just like I don't know. I just want to have fun at school and <laughs> you know. What about what about your brother? I mean, I, I kind of sometimes think what it'd be like to work with family. Mm. And I guess there's big pros, big cons. I don't know. Mm. But did, did you? I mean, you obviously get on well. Yeah, yeah, yeah we get on really well. Funnily, from your previous question, Lloyd actually really did know what he wanted to do when he was growing up. So and so he he either wanted to uh he wanted to do drama he was in like drama class and really into drama <laughs> now, now now your tiktoks and stuff starting to make a bit more sense yeah exactly but my my dad basically said to him no he should do business <laughs> so so he did drama um, um but yeah no in terms of us getting on we really we really do get on well actually it's a lot of people ask that question 
Um, and we, we, we keep saying like, it's crazy how much time we spend together. So we, we work together five days a week uh, and we see each other at weekends and hang out and we play squash with each other in the evenings after work. It's a huge amount of time to spend with each other, but we seem to get on really well. And it wasn't always like that. We used to really argue when we were younger, but as we've matured and we're both like on this journey to make this business a huge success. And I think we both know that and we yeah. both know that we need to get on. And when there's challenges and when we disagree on stuff, we, we need to overcome that in a, in a logical way rather than just argue because we've done that. Even when starting the business, we used to have arguments and stuff, but now there's none of that really. We're, we're just a challenge is we're faced with a challenge. We, ha- we, we may disagree on something, but we have discussions that help us get to a good result. Right. Do you uh, spending so much time together? Do you do you manage to get a little difference between work and non-work, or is it always work oh, yeah. talk? Um, <laughs> no, no, we do. We definitely do because we have other we have interests outside of work that we talk about. I guess it is challenging because we're we're both quite uh, passionate about the business and and we spend a lot of time in it. We do end up having discussions about work outside of work, but it's more like exciting stuff. Like, oh, I thought this new podcast top like episode we could yeah. do on this thing, or it's more that kind of the fun chat rather than like, you know, oh, I've got to do an appraisal with this person. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So, so you didn't know what you wanted to be when you grew no, up. No. You to work in business, be like mm-hmm. your dad. Yeah. Is there, is there any chance of going down like a family? I mean, no, you're in a family business, I guess, but like a, a bigger, wider family business. Well, when I, before we started this, I actually, when I came out of uni, um, after I, I worked in a company in London, I, I quit that. And then I did some work for my dad, um, some like marketing work for him initially that mm. kind of got my foot in the door, but he's retired now. But, uh, but no, I think, well, Lloyd and I both have children. So, you know, who knows in 20 years time, they might take over. <laughs> That's, that's, you know, I think that sometimes about my girls, like whether or not. On one hand, one day I think, oh, it'd be amazing for that to happen. Mm. And then other days, I'm not so sure. But yeah, how I old just are you never, kids? Uh, so one is almost three, three in November. The other is three months old. So we've got a oh, bit, cool. bit of time before they're uh, <laughs> yeah. old enough. But I guess no, I'd, I'd never want to push them into something they didn't want to do. Um, We'll just see what they want to do and, you know, if they want the opportunity and I'm still here, then yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed you're managing to get in games of squash of an evening with uh, two kids that age. Yes, I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got a, I, I do the night feeds and various other things. So we've got, a, we've got quite a good routine going. Um, but yeah, certainly for the first, it's only just happened, like started playing squash again for the first few months. It was none of that. <laughs> uh, all hands on deck, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, cool. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Um, tell me something about you that not many people know. God, that's a really good question. Something about me that not many people know. I... I don't want to get deep. <laughs> you can go deep if you want. I, I guess one thing I... Not many people know... When I came out of uni, I, I start. I worked at Enterprise Rent a Car, and I after I got promoted quite quickly within a year, and uh, was kind of out of my depth and had a bit of a breakdown, and quit my job and moved back in with my parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's something that not many people know. <laughs> but you know, that's interesting because that's um, 
I had that on a, a previous guest. We were talking about mm. promotion. In fact, one I put live today, we were talking about promotion. And I think three different guests have said similar stories. Mm. Interesting. And I never realized what a hu huge problem it is mm. in corporate where people do a job and they're good at a job. So then they get promoted. And then at some point, there's that crossover where you get promoted from doing the job to promoted mm. to being Manage. someone who can who looks yeah. after other people who are doing yes. the job. That was it. But you're not skilled at that at all. You. I just mean, but no, no, it was me. Like, um, Trained and skilled to be able to manage yeah. a team. To it's like yeah, a totally different job, right? Yeah. But it's but it's like this weird linear progression that yeah, loads of corporations do. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy so, problem that I didn't even know existed until I yeah. started doing this podcast. And you start, but when you hear it, mm. it makes total sense. I can totally relate to that because I a big part of the job was uh, sales. Like we were, um, there was like a monthly thing called Elite Club where all the top salespeople go, um, and I was like going to that fairly regularly, and I was doing great with upselling when people were renting cars and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, like my progression was like, yeah, every month hitting Elite Club, smashing it, smashing it, got promoted keep smashing it and then promote it again. And it was managing a team of nine people and 250 cars and all the logistics around that. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm really good I'm, at sales. I'm a salesman, <laughs> I'm not a people manager. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was just uh, thrown at the deep end. Just so have you, have you taken learnings from that then into now you're growing your own business? Completely. Yeah. That, I guess one of the biggest lessons is to know what my skills on what i'm good at and focus on that and and uh, i guess like lloyd and i ensuring we both have roles within the business and responsibilities that are suited to our skill set um that was that was a big thing uh, presumably the people who work for you as well right is exactly yeah there's we always there's a really good kind of uh model and book called uh entrepreneurs operating system and we're currently sort of going through a process of implementing that into our business. And one of the things it talks about a lot is having the right person in the right seat, yeah. um, which is exactly what we're saying there, ensuring that the right person is is in the right role and has the right responsibilities. And, it, and it's always a journey. It's well, never so like- What's the book called? The Entrepreneur's Operating System. Okay. There's, there's a really good initial book uh, called What the Heck is EOS, which is a short read, which just gives you the a flavor of what the model is. Who's that by? Do you know? I can't remember the person who it's by. Um, it's like an orange book. It's orange. You'll you'll see it. Okay. Loads of loads of amazing lessons. We'll be actually done a podcast episode on this on this oh, and you? implementing into our business. Yeah. Um, which uh, yeah talks all about this and how the lessons we've learned and stuff. But we're still very early on. Like there's there's a huge amount of work that goes into properly implementing it. We've only just like you know dipped our toe in. But already yeah. it's had huge, a huge positive impact. Oh, that's cool. Hmm. Okay, I'll have a check that out. It sounds like an interesting book. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay, next question. What has been one of the most pivotal moments in your life? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. Are you wishing you wishing you looked at them in advance now? Yeah, no, 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 no. This is this is good. Most pivotal moments in my life. Do you, is, is it? to do with career or just life in general or I don't like know, man you tell me like, okay i'll tell i'll give you a bit of context mm. and for any other listeners who have not listened to any previous episodes um so what i wanted to get out of this podcast was i wanted mine to be a little bit different right and i mm. wanted it to be <clears throat> i felt like 
a lot of podcasts out there were going down this same route where they're asking the same questions to mm. the same guests. And it was getting to a point where um, I won't tell this story again because I've said it on several pod- previous ones. But it's almost like when someone's got something to promote, Mm. They'll go on the circuit of um, yes, yeah, big yeah. podcasters and they'll talk about their book or their product or their film mm. or whatever, right? And what you invariably end up with is the same questions. Mm. I know, tell me about why you wrote this book or tell me what you, you know, and it's just, it's like, it's, use, it's using the podcast to try and promote this stuff. Mm. And I'm not naive enough to know that, you know, people don't go on podcasts f- for love, right? You go on <laughs> trying to build personal brand or mm. trying to awareness or whatever. But what I really wanted to achieve was, like, as I said to you before we started recording, I, mm. I've seen you online. I've seen, mm. you know, you and your brother talking on your podcast and your TikToks and the rest of it. Mm. And the reason I reached out to you is because I suspect that a lot of people will see you doing that stuff mm. and think that it's almost like that overnight success mm malarkey whereas i know full well that you've gone on a journey from somewhere to now (laughs) to be where you're at and what i find really interesting is that journey you've been on and the stuff you've done in your life Mm. has led you to being where you are now yeah so and i thought if i can create these 10 questions that are just um they're theoretic. They're they're kind of the same. I so your episode, I think this is episode like seventeen or eighteen or something, and they've been near enough the same. Mm-hmm. I changed them a little bit. Yeah. At episode ten because they kind of didn't work, and I needed mm-hmm. to change it a bit. Mm-hmm. But the theory behind it is, is I want to learn, you know, what drives you, what yeah. has made you do the make the decisions you've made mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and looking at pivotal moments in your life. Mm-hmm. I believe you know could be could be one of them that's really good context and i, really I appreciate want people that. to go away from this and go oh you know like yeah I, i'm starting an agency or i'm starting a business mm. or i'm you know i'm a, i've got to work with my my brother and i'm a little i mean mm. that's the learnings that i want people to come away from it i have an answer for you <laughs> so um there's lots of things it could have been but i think the most pivotal moment in my life and it is fairly cliche was probably having kids yeah because i think um growing up and going through my throughout my career and everything i think i've probably internally been quite a selfish person um you know thinking of myself and and i think it's been a positive and a negative positive in the sense that it's helped me really focus on what do i want to do i want to be very successful so what do i need to do work really hard you know throughout uni or about working at enterprise or this business so and then three years ago had my first son and it just completely changed my mentality and thoughts on life and that it wasn't just focused on me (laughs) um and i think that's uh kind of filtered down to everything i do now not just uh like personal life but throughout the business and everything is not being not thinking of just myself so much and trying to think of you know even we've got a team now and thinking of them and thinking of our clients and thinking of yeah it's not just about me so that that would probably had the biggest impact on the way i approached life in general do you know what's funny is i could have answered the i could answer that question with pretty much exactly what you just said really i was in the, <laughs> I was in the same boat yeah 
Yeah. Um, my daughter's four now. Mm. She seems to be five, but it's the same thing, mate. You, you kind of it suddenly puts life in a perspective that <laughs> yeah. you just never ever thought yeah. was going to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's all the, I always say it like all of the cliches are true. All the classic things they say, like yeah. everyone says about parenting, it's all true. <laughs> true. How, how yeah. old are you, Dan? I am 30. Okay. You? I'm 43. A bit older. Okay. You look good so, for 43. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> God, you can come on again. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Our kids just... I, I, we'll probably get a bit, bit deep now, but I mean, I, I wasn't really... I was in the same boat as you, man. I was... I was selfish seems a bit of a harsh word for both of us, I think, probably, mm. but I just wasn't interested. I didn't want kids per se. Mm. I wasn't really interested. That, like, I wasn't one of these people who grew up thinking, oh, I want to have children, I want to have children. Mm. And then when I did, my like life just flipped like that. I mm. suddenly thought, I don't want to be commuting and out like two hours a day. I don't want to be coming home stressed from a job I don't really like, working for someone I don't really like. Like, mm. I thought there's going to be more to life than this. And I yeah. want to... I want to be a good dad and I want to, do you know what I mean? I don't want to come home miserable and like <laughs> be snapping at my kids because some dickhead you boss was like, <laughs> yeah. and that's, that's what drove me to start my business. Like, it's just nice. like, right. Okay. One, one of the reasons. And, um, yeah. But it, it was well, a weird thing that I didn't expect to happen as a result of having children. Yeah. Also, I guess just as a caveat to listeners, don't if you've got problems don't just have a kid to try and solve them <laughs> <laughs> i think that's what some people do <laughs> some people do yeah um yeah yeah i can't remember someone's telling me a story recently about a couple who weren't getting on well and they thought well maybe having a kid was and that's, that's <laughs> no, another piece, terrible right? <laughs> terrible oh, terrible idea that is hard enough. <laughs> yeah. it's hard enough when you're really into it but yeah oh my God. that might fix our relationship if we have a kid <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we're uh, probably probably treading on dodgy ground, but yes, yeah, yeah, get back 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 on track. <laughs> but yeah, so the, having your first kid was a pivotal moment. Yes, that was it, definitely. So, it, so you said, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said a little while ago, so your business has been going for seven years. Yeah, about that, six or seven. And, you, and your and your boy is three and a bit. Mm-hmm. No, he's two two and a bit, almost three in November. Oh, okay. So what what? What, is there anything that massively changed in your business as a result of that? Like, um, so I think uh, not drastically because we because we plan effectively. Basically, okay. I think um, obviously you've got quite a lot of notice to know when you're going to have a child. So that time period allowed us to plan and know, like, right, going to take a few weeks off, and you know, especially in the early days. I'm going to need to be around more at home. So just effectively planning and ensuring that, uh, you know, that the team is properly prepped and anything I needed to do to, to hand things over to ensure that other people could be responsible for what I'm usually responsible for. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think things changed in a small way in terms of uh, just uh, other people, more support from other team members and Lloyd as well. Um, but not drastically, just because had that all that time to prep. If I wouldn't have had that time to prep, it would have been a nightmare and wouldn't have been able to do anything. And yeah, but fair enough. Yeah. Okay. The next deep question for you is about lessons learned. Right. Uh, okay. What's been one of your most valuable? 
Valuable lessons. Um, I think uh, okay, I've got I've got quite a few. We've done podcast episodes on this as well, so I've got some in the in the bank. Okay. Um, one of the biggest ones uh, is to do with patience, I think, and, and the fact that it it takes a lot longer than I thought to achieve what I thought I would achieve by now. So I remember when I was like 14 or 15 going around my mate's house and his dad, um, they had quite a big house and his dad has done quite well for himself. And I remember saying to him, when I'm 21, I'm going to be a millionaire and all this. <laughs> like actually believing that, uh, you know, that was going to happen. And then get to 21, I'm just getting drunk at university without a job or anything yep. in a lot of debt. <laughs> um, and then and then get to where I am now and, you know, we're doing all right. Um but yeah, it just takes a lot longer than everyone makes out online as well. I think there's all there's this 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 wave of like coaches and entrepreneurs that have kind of kind of been spewing spewing this idea of you know in three simple steps do you know grow a business that's worth a million pounds? And like no, there's no three simple steps. There's thousands of steps over years. <laughs> but they're they're preying on people, aren't they? I mean, that's mm. a, I, I I'm with you, man. I, I hate that. There's a lot of good entrepreneurs out there, and I and I like this kind of building public thing where people are pretty open about what they're doing. Hmm. But there's a lot of stuff out there that are basically preying on people who are I don't know if vulnerable is the right word, but certainly you know looking, looking for, for an out or looking for a help or shortcut or you know maybe they're in financial trouble, maybe they're a bit depressed. Hmm. Who knows? And just and that's all it is, right? It's like kind of that snake oil of the, of the modern day, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it, it's great to, to now, because this is more public, like people like Mike Winnett with his Contrepreneur series are really publicly calling these people out. Um, and the guy called Coffeezilla, I don't know if you've seen him, a YouTuber who really calls out these people who are like, like, you know, the Who's Tony the Rob one? Uh, Coffeezilla is his YouTube. I don't know what his actual name is. Okay, I'll have a look. <laughs> But he like, yeah, they does YouTube things calling out even like things like YouTubers who are who are promoting like crypto scams and stuff like that. And there's uh, but also the, the, the whole like um, uh, snake or snake salesman who was selling you a course to, to become a millionaire, you know, p- videos next to the Lambo, that kind of thing. Yeah. But there's there's just so much of it. And I think people do want that easy get out. I, I guess like the latest one is Andrew Tate's Hustlers University. That's another one that's like you know promises you the world and oh god when you look at some of the some of the things he teaches like it literally in his in some of the lessons it's like teaching people how to prey on other people's insecurities to sell them something literally the wording is that like that it's it's crazy he's Um, he's an interesting guy that guy i i wasn't as familiar with him as a lot of people were Mm. Like when this whole thing came out about him being totally cancelled and kicked off all the social media platforms and the rest of it, mm. I kind of heard vaguely who he was. And like, I mean, truth is, I heard he was like a bit misogynistic and I didn't, but I didn't really know mm. the ins and outs of what he was kind of kicking out. I started reading it and I was just like, Jesus, how does he kind of like... Yeah. But there's, well, a, there's a real thing it... sometimes by plowing that being mm. different right and finding and that's how you get your allies and how you get people behind you because you you really vocal about stuff that yeah and i mean he he's practicing what he preaches he, he's he trains people how to identify people's insecurities and prey on them to sell them stuff 
he's literally doing that with um you know like mainly like a massive irony there right yeah 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 exactly like young young uh, impressionable males who uh you know haven't felt like they've got what they should have out of life um he's poking that insecurity and manipulating it to to then get them to sign up to his course you know and like i think over a hundred thousand people have signed up sign up to this thing and pay monthly yeah which is crazy but it, 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 it lots of people have mentioned how this does it, it kind of brings forward uh the problem that there is with like young impressionable males that there isn't these kind of um uh, figures that they should be looking up to supporting them and that kind of thing this is why these sort of snake oil salesmen are, are able to sell them these courses because there's no one there to actually help them so let me ask you a question then so we started this question and you it was about lessons learned and you said about patience and you mm. realized that you know it take you a lot of patience to mm. get to where you are so you made that realization right and theoretically if Andrew Tate had been around or someone had been around when you were 21 mm. you might have got on that bandwagon mm. what um I guess it's like a two-part question is like ha mm. how did you learn that the patience was key <laughs> and the second part is what do you like how do you why do you think people are so reluctant to apply patience to their kind of life and good questions so i think in terms of answering the first question so the realization of like how, how did i realize that it's so important to be patient and it, it was by uh doing it by like actually starting a business and trying right. to grow it and realizing how much hard work it was starting from scratch starting from nothing uh like how challenging it was to to make small steps forward and the time that took yeah um but the thing that kind of i guess kept me going and us going was seeing those those small wins over a period of time like for example so when we started no we had no credibility had never proved what we did worked yeah um, and our first small win was our first client saying we're going to pay you some money to help us even though you know um, and I remember one of our first sort of retainer clients was like a local small hotel. We well, what, was the, what was the kicker for them to take that punt on you? I think, um, so they actually, <laughs> they came as a lead through Twitter, which like we never, for the last like few years, we've never got any leads through Twitter. But my, originally when I, pre-starting this business, I, I spent a lot of time learning how to build up my brand on social, how to grow a social following. And Twitter I'd grown like 20,000 followers or something at the time. And I was verified because I, I got verified because I wrote articles in publications and stuff. And okay. I think I personally think they just blindly saw a fairly large following, saw a verification tick and just trusted us. We were local. They, were, they, were, they came down from London, bought a hotel, didn't know anything about the local area we've been in the local area for years so we had a lot of value in terms of understanding the local area right. um uh but i think in terms of them trusting our marketing abilities i think it was a lot to do with just seeing a large following on twitter and a blue tick and thinking they must know what they're doing <laughs> that's interesting um, but we i know i've never told that story for, before but interestingly looking back like for what they were paying us even lloyd and i still say this they got a huge amount of value Although we hadn't had the experience of working with a brand, 
we'd spent a lot of time prior to that building up our skills in marketing and social media and that kind of thing yeah to get to that point we had a lot of lessons learned that we could apply and, and share with them to help them and obviously compared to what we charge clients now they were paying us probably like five percent of what we charge now yeah. um so they were getting that that kind of that value um but it was small wins like that it was small wins like that it was small wins like um getting our first like client brand as a client that people have actually heard of which was euro tunnel at the time like the the underground train service yeah, yeah. from um and it was like small wins along the way of like oh and then eventually winging you know winging fifa as a client and working our way up and having those small those small win- incremental wins that that gave us the reassurance like oh it's taken us years to be able to say like we've worked with fifa or nestle or wall but um it's been worth it because those years of slow incremental improvements have been worth it and that even like now looking forward that's what's making me motivated for the future because i know we're doing even more than ever to improve the work we do for our clients improve how we're running this business so i know that those incremental changes over the next 10 years are going to result in something really amazing in the future so presumably fifa would have been like a a a dream client at one point yes who's now you've got those guys on board and work with them. Who who would be your next? If you could have picked any brand to work with tomorrow, who would it be? Mm. That's a really good question. Well, uh, in terms of who we're, the type of client we're trying to work with, we want to bring on more household name brands um, that are really kind of aligned with with uh, with our values. In terms of specific, specific brands, mm, that's a good question. I guess it for me for me personally it it would probably be any kind of brand that I personally love like I'm a I'm a, a you know a big advocate of um like I'm thinking uh hmm, that's a good question we're both wearing Nike tops with Nike yeah I guess but yes but I think again in terms of their impact on the planet and stuff and i think it, it'll be difficult because there's been a lot of negativity around like diversity in their board and things like that so i think we'd we'd just have to think about it really carefully but is this that, is can i be a real maybe real ask now with mm, this question and is that not mm, the same with fifa yes we we did work with them um years ago before oh, right, okay. like literally yeah so but yeah it's it is difficult. It is that that constant question of trying to figure out who would we want to work with. I don't know. What about you? Who, have you someone, got any? Someone dream- like Patagonia, I guess, would probably be your dream client, right? Yeah, yeah. But this brings up a good point. Like, I think for us, we've been so focused on the work we deliver and on our own processes. I guess we haven't actively thought like, who is our dream client? And I guess some some companies probably because our approach has very much been sort of inbound we we put we create content that puts our messages out to the world mm-hmm. that demonstrates what we care about and the work we deliver and we've just we attract you know 100% of our business comes inbound whereas the other approach is to go out there and try and target certain co- companies which we've never really done was that, was that an active was that a, an active decision to try and get everything inbound mm. yeah yeah i mean our our whole Going back to when we started, I think we we learned a lot from Gary V in the early days. We were like, yep. 
Uh, and his main main thing was, you know, document, jab, 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 right. Don't create. Yeah, document, don't create. All of those messages provide value. And we just did that blindly following what he said. And then, um, and I guess it's worked so well that we're, we're just continuing to do that. And also like uh, this approach, a lot of our customers pre-qualify themselves before contacting us so it's not like we're going out trying to ring people like please can you work with us it's companies approaching us saying we've seen what you do we want to work with you let's try and figure out how it can work which i guess is a lot less stressful than having to traipse up to london or manchester for sales pitches that take you know that take the whole day and yeah but i mean we still do pitches um virtual pitches mainly now but it's it's from companies who have seen what we do come to us so it's a it's a bit less of trying to convince we do still have to do some convincing to demonstrate what we do provides value yeah but um but it's more of an easy sort of pitch because they've been listening to our podcast for two years or seen our content on linkedin or seen our case studies on our website and they're already bought into working with knowlton it's more them trying to figure out how could we make this work and what could it look like fair enough so i mean kind of got a bit off script here but i guess (laughs) You're obviously a big believer in the whole personal brand mm. side of things, I assume. Well, yeah, for us, it's been, especially for the first few years of running our business, it was the main way we won business was sort of building my personal brand. Initially, I did a lot of speaking at events around the world and then COVID happened, stopped all of that. And we then we started to build up both of our personal brands with the podcast and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, st- I think personal branding is really powerful. Okay. What's, give us one tip on personal branding that people could take away. Um, or one bit of advice or one just yeah. one something that you think is important. I, I personally think uh, there's personal branding has been a hot topic recently because there's lots of sort of personal branding experts and coaches that have popped up. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess my... I, I spoke about this at a recent event, like the crying CEO. I don't know if you saw him go viral on LinkedIn. I did, yeah. But it, it really made me start to think about there's this, been this influx of of sort of people or personal brands who create these kind of overinflated, made-up stories, mainly for places like LinkedIn, because that's seen as going viral and working to build your personal brand. But I guess mm-hmm. my main piece of advice would be don't just look at that and try and copy it because you think that's going to work for you um i think blindly trying to create these kind of broetry style posts where it's a made-up story that's emotional and you've learned a lesson yeah. i think isn't a good approach to take because it may get some views and some engagement but is it building the personal brand that you want to be building is it building a reputation you want to be building i don't think so i think it takes a lot more thought than that no i think that's um i think that's solid advice and i I'm going to move on purely because I feel like we could probably have a whole three-hour podcast on personal branding alone and um, we'll have to save that one for another day. Yeah. Um, okay, so you said a valuable lesson. Next question's about superpowers and mm-hmm. I believe that everyone has got a superpower of some description. What's yours? Personally? Yeah. My superpower? I'd say sales. Okay. Um, <laughs> what crap superpower to have if you were being a superhero? Uh, <laughs> I say that, but there's, I, I reckon there's probably 99.9% of entrepreneurs up and down the world would be like, I wish I was a bit better at sales. <laughs> yeah. 
no good point i guess my whole role within this company has been always focused on selling us and our approach to marketing and trying to convince well, not always trying to convince but trying to communicate to potential customers why they should work with us and uh over the years i feel like because i spent so much time doing it i feel like i've got fairly good at it so i'd say which is interesting because you said a minute ago about the whole inbound side of things mm. so is that like in a way is it complementing the inbound side you mean yeah so the the sales element starts once the in, the inbound part has been working and people are contacting us saying hey we're interested in working with you then the sales part kicks in of having a discover i have a discovery call with them going away with our creative team and putting together a presentation or a pitch then pitching them that that's the kind of sales element once the opportunities have come in then it's a case of and i don't mean when when you, when i say sales sales sounds very much like you know trying to push someone into becoming yeah. a customer it's more it's more the the uh, communicating with them to demonstrate what we can do for them and how we can do it and overcoming any questions or objections they've got to get to the point of them saying okay yeah we'll do that that's that's the part that i feel like i'm all right at okay i i mean i i think that's a great superpower so let me ask you a question then so as i said a minute ago i reckon many entrepreneurs can build products can build um services businesses whatever and i'm going to be very generalistic i, I think maybe a lot probably su suffer or struggle with that sales process right and it's mm -hmm. the whole you know if you build it they'll come mentality mm -hmm. is not quite there right mm -hmm. what what would be one bit of one tip you would give to someone who has started their business and needs help with sales or communicating with potential clients i think the first key thing is you've got to really believe in whatever it is you're selling. Okay. So I, so for example, with us now, I have, have had the, the evidence and the data over years to, to, to know that what we sell, inverted commas, yep. uh, works. So when I'm um, speaking to a potential customer, I don't feel like I'm selling anymore. Okay. I feel like they've come to us with a problem and we've gone away and put together a presentation to demonstrate how we can solve that problem with evidence showing how we've done it for other very credible brands. And it's more my job to, to just take them on that journey rather than trying to sell them something. It's working with them to work out a solution to their problem. So that, that mindset is really important. So one, you have to really believe in what you sell. Two, it's having the mindset of, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to go on a journey with you to, to, to communicate ways that we can work together to overcome your problems. Right. And then it's down to you to decide if I'm the best solution based on whoever else you're speaking to. Um, yeah. So I guess for, from, from my experiences though, to those are two things there's another, there's a really great book. I learned a huge amount from called gap selling by a guy called Keenan. Okay. He talks a lot about um, selling being all about, finding the gap between where you are where your potential customer is now to where they want to be yeah and then having a discussion around that gap what's the impact of you not closing that gap on the company and then presenting how you can help them close that gap and the value there is to that and yeah he talks a lot about like talking about their future state their current state and then figuring out that gap and selling on the gap uh to to, to push your product or service okay 
that sounds like a good one to read. I'll get that. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned then about showing previous work. So I'm a big believer in the whole kind of case study stuff. And I think mm. that people, um, what's the word? People kind of like to see evidence that it's happened in the past, right? And then mm. they apply it to their own businesses and, and problems. If someone is struggling, so say someone's set out at zero and they haven't got any clients yet. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's valuable to do all you can to get a case study in place, whether that be, you know, do some work for free or yes. heavily yes. discounted? Yes, yes, because uh, and the reason I think that's really important is because of understanding the buyer journey and the, the process someone goes through to decide if you're the best solution to their problem. You okay. know, if before you buy anything, what do you do? You do some kind of research, different yeah. levels of that research to figure out, do I trust, if, even if it's a product, do I trust if this pen is the best pen I could purchase? Let me go on the Amazon product page and look through the reviews yeah. and the description and you do that level of research. If it's a service-based business, you know, if you're looking for a new accountants, you will not sign up to a new accountant unless you've looked at their reviews, looked at other people they've worked with and how much you trust them and that kind of thing. So having that evidence is hugely powerful. If you think like you could um, work with someone either for free or at a very low cost to create that case study, that case study could help you win a new customer, which is 10 times the value of the time you've invested in. Do you know what I mean? So yes, I think that's a hugely important step when starting out getting evidence that backs up what you say because lots of people say they can do stuff or achieve this for you but they don't have the evidence to back it up no 100% agree um no 100% agree I think it's great advice and I think it's yeah like if you can prove that you've done something it's just invaluable right I mean anyone can say they've done it can do it right it's just the proof in the pudding and Lloyd and I always talk now like how on earth in the early days when we had had next to no evidence did we convince people to work with us like now it's so much easier because we have a huge amount of evidence that we can yeah. pick pick the best evidence that most that's most relatable to that specific company yeah whereas when we started it was like here's all this work we can do for you we don't have any evidence to show you that it will work but you know <laughs> trust us we've got a blue tick on twitter yeah it's funny isn't it yeah gotta start somewhere though exactly Um, tell me what topic is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox uh i would say i would say it's probably the one that i've already brought up the um people actually no two things people posting the overinflated made-up stories on linkedin the second one is uh is people being over salesy or connecting on, because I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, I keep referencing LinkedIn, but because we're yeah. a B2B company, people connecting and then sending a uh, out of the can automated message that's pitching you um, instantly. It, it, the reason it's so frustrating, you know, some people say, why can't you just ignore them? When you get shit loads of them yeah. and you do actually get other good messages from people who actually want to have a proper discussion, it's it's so time consuming to filter out all the shite Um that it does get very frustrating because all of that time each day across a year is a huge amount of time going through yeah. and blocking and deleting people. <laughs> Do you know what I find amazing? And I agree with you on that. It drives me crazy. But what I find really amazing is if they just adapted that strategy just a tiny bit, mm. I'm convinced that their success rate would go from like zero point something percent 
to mm-hmm. 5 or 6%. And that, that could be something little, right, by going not – so one of my companies has got like a, a trademark R thing on the end of it on, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. So I always know when it's been scraped and it's like stuck yeah. in. yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, we see what... And I just think there's this weird disconnect between emailing LinkedIn people at scale Mm. and applying a little bit of, I don't know, just common sense to read someone's profile or something. I I don't know why. I feel mm. like their success rate would just skyrocket if they just emailed fewer people. It's a thing you mentioned earlier about shortcuts and why people invest in these get rich rich quick schemes people want a shortcut automating you know you at the click of a button over a period of time you can send a thousand linkedin messages and auto, you know using software and set it up and it could probably take you 10 minutes to set up send a thousand messages imagine how long that would take to do manually a huge could, amount I of time i agree with that dan I, I do agree with that but how many like positive responses do they get out of that no, no, thousand messages? You're, we're we're literally arguing the same point here. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Like, yes, it's very efficient, but it's not effective. Yeah. Like, why you're spending that? And, and not it's not just not effective. It's damaging to your brand. Think of those thousand people who now know you know fifty percent of them know you've automated that instantly. Think you're a bit of a prick. Yeah. Uh, you know, twenty percent have told their friends, "Oh, don't work with them because they're just." They're, they're pretending that they care about us by messaging, you know, the worst, they're like, I've been seeing, I've seen what you've been doing. Or they like make up some lie in the message that's automated. I noticed that you were in the marketing industry. It's like they've tagged the industry that you've said you're on LinkedIn. <laughs> I've noticed you in the marketing industry, noticed you're into this. Let's connect. It's like, oh. But this but yeah. is what I don't understand. I just, I feel like, I feel like this is a really obvious problem with a it's really obvious, obvious solution. It's and obvious no to, to us. It's obvious, it's obvious to us, but it's not obvious to everyone because I also think they do have some level of success. They must do to keep doing it. Do you reckon? I, but I reckon if they send, there must be some people, you know, if they send a thousand messages, if 10 people, I don't know, or 20 people reply and then one of them becomes a customer, they probably see that as a success when, you know, really they've put off 90% of their potential customers who hate them. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just find it, it's, it's a topic that baffles me, right? Because I just think if you emailed like five people a day with a little mm. bit of, and it doesn't even have to be a lot, right? I mean, you you could do 10 minutes worth of research and find out yeah. something interesting about someone. Like, oh, I saw this post you wrote, Dan. Yeah. You wrote about so-and-so doing this. And actually, I really agree with you. Like, pisses me off as well. Hugh, mm. way more impact. Yeah, right? Way more impact doing that, like something more personalized. And I also think you can sniff it a mile off someone who's just messaging you to sell you something. Or when they start with, I'm not trying to sell you anything. <laughs> but they kind of clearly are. Yeah. Or, or they send you a nice message and you go, oh, thanks. Yeah, it's lovely to hear that. And there's like, well, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, that gets me on my soapbox, though, as you can tell. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too, probably. <laughs> one, one of many. Um, Let's talk about advice. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received. That is a good question. Or maybe, just to make it a bit easier, I guess, is there a piece of advice that you find that um, you repeatedly tell people? Mm. 
um i guess the one that we we live our kind of our marketing mantra is focused on is uh starting by um starting a relationship in the right way so so whether it's creating an advert that's that you're seeing for the first time in your newsfeed for our new product or whatever or if it's um you seeing a piece of content on linkedin for the first time or on facebook or whatever it's uh starting that relationship right and it follows on from our soapbox discussion previously yeah producing content and marketing in a way that creates a win-win situation for not just you because you're selling stuff but for your customers so we focus on producing like advertisement or entertaining advertising and marketing that that ensures that first touch point with a potential customer is a positive one so rather than if we're trying to sell pens to someone rather yeah. than creating some marketing material that's hey look at our pens they're brilliant you should buy our pens they're great it's thinking like who is buying this pen what do they actually give a shit about right now okay. what do they talk about with their mates when they hang out what do they share in their whatsapp groups what kind of things do they actually care about create content around that um to to draw them in before trying to set to sell them the pen and it, it comes down to the kind of general thing of like leading with value first before trying to convince someone to do something that's that's a that's a, that's how we live our our marketing mantra is providing value up front before trying to convince someone to buy your pen okay i just written down a couple of questions off the back of that what, mm -hmm. what's been the best um campaign you put out there that's done really well or surprised you or got the most traction i don't want to use the word viral but oh no no, no so um uh there's been a few one of my favorite ones in terms of results this is like we uh, the ads we've produced for this client tracked over two million pounds of e-commerce revenue wowzers yeah with a uh like overall it's over a, a four four x return on what they spent which is re really cool um but the creative was was my favorite part um it was a fairly big production across four or five days we we pushed a woman out of a plane um, okay. we had a Jeff Bezos lookalike. We had boats in the sea. There's all these moving parts to create this really amazing main hero piece of content that was, it was like a main company ad, like yeah. demonstrating here's a company, here's the problems we solve, here's our products. But it, it communicated all of the key points in really creative ways. Um, okay. so that was probably, that's probably one of them. Another one really proud of recently, we worked with one of our long-term clients, Wall, the, the kind of male grooming brand. We did a collab with them and Peaky Blinders. I saw that. I just watched that before I came on with you. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm really proud of how that how that looks and, and worked. So, um, yeah, there's another one. Um, what's, uh, let me ask you a counter question then. What's, what's been one that was a bit of a disaster or didn't quite work as you'd hoped? Probably from the early days. I'm trying to think. Like more in the last five years, there hasn't really been because we'll only... We do a lot of pre-qualification now. So from experience, we draw, We always want to work with brands that we know we can do a good job for. Um, yeah. Like we've been approached before with some, by some new startups that have products that we look at and think we would never, ever buy that. And no one is ever going to buy that. So we don't want to promote that. Um, but I'm trying to think in the early days. Uh... Mm, I can't think exactly. There, there's probably some in the early days that, that didn't work out so well. So what, let me ask you a question then. So you, you, you're, you're pushing this stuff out on social, right? And you've been going seven years. Mm. And I guess anyone who's got any sort of 
knowledge of marketing knows that the, the, the transition between organic reach and paid reach has, has slid well along that mm. spectrum now. Mm. Are, are you are you amplifying everything you put out or is that the client who does that or have you noticed, I mean, I'm not going to say have you noticed the organic slip because everyone's mm. bloody noticed it, but are you still getting any organic stuff out of it? Are you the sharing and the yeah not having any impact? Yeah, so I think it's it's about understanding where you can drive the most organic reach and engagement. And it, it tends to be newer platforms. So right now, TikTok yeah. is a place where you can still drive huge amounts of organic reach and engagement. Um, similar to when Facebook started and used to post something and shitloads of people would see it. Now that's obviously died a, a death. Now there's places like TikTok where you can still get that. But we're still amplifying content with with paid ads Okay. In terms of who does it, um, it depends on the project and the client. So sometimes our clients have internal teams, like paid media teams that will do that, and we just create the, create the social content. Other times we do it all, so create the content and run the paid ads. Um, it really depends on the kind of specific project. Um, Fair enough. But yeah. Well, okay, last question on this topic. about um, You mentioned earlier you're not really doing a lot on Twitter, despite being verified in the mm. past and whatever. And your is LinkedIn where you're like, and I know you do a lot of stuff on TikTok as well because I, I I think I follow you guys there. Hmm. Where where are you sort of focusing your attention when it comes to building awareness for your brand as opposed to your clients? LinkedIn, is it? So LinkedIn. So earlier when I mentioned our podcast, Business Anchors. So almost all, as I said, like all almost all of our new business mentions the podcast in some capacity. So okay. it's a big it's a big part of our revenue generation because whether they discover us through the podcast or they just listen to it because they see a clip on another social platform, it's still having an impact on their decision making process, which is important to us. Yeah. LinkedIn is where we get the most direct leads that convert into new business. Okay. So, you know, marketing managers from brands messaging, connecting and saying, We've seen you doing this stuff, let's have a chat. LinkedIn is the main platform. So it's still a huge focus for us, LinkedIn. Because um, that's where we found, you know, marketing teams, people in marketing teams, especially senior marketers, spend a lot of their time, um, and they're in the kind of mindset to do business as well. It's not like, and I guess going back to your soapbox comment earlier, like if you can stand out on LinkedIn, yeah, then it's kind of, I don't want to say the bar's low because that's probably <laughs> not really fair, but. <laughs> If you can be good on LinkedIn, there's so much shite on there that actually maybe it is easier to stand out. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I really, it, it definitely is because LinkedIn as a platform is always behind all of the other platforms. Yeah. Like if you, we get a lot of our creative ideas from TikTok, reshape them and remold them for LinkedIn and they blow up on LinkedIn because everyone on LinkedIn is like, wow, this is such a cool creative idea. When it's like, that's a trend that's been going on, <laughs> on TikTok for like two years. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, even like outreach. So so we actually, you know, like people sending annoying messages on LinkedIn. Yeah. We do outreach on LinkedIn very differently. So okay. we've got a strategy. We've done a podcast on this actually. It was called something like how we made 50K in a week from this outreach strategy on LinkedIn. And uh, every week I send direct videos to people who, have, who are in our target market who have shown interest in what we're doing on LinkedIn. So if, 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 there's, if you're commenting on our videos saying, oh my God, this is great, love this, or um, looking at our profile and that kind of thing, I send outreach videos to people. That's our, our only form of sort of outreach to say, hey, 
Sandra, noticed that you were. So how does that work then? Is that you put a piece of content out? Mm -hmm. John from Company XYZ comes mm -hmm. along and gives it a thumbs up or a yeah. comment. You then put note them down somewhere in a folder. Yeah. So every week I spend time uh, creating a list of those people who are in who are our ideal customers who fit the criteria in terms of company they work for, job role, who yeah. have who have shown the signs that they're interested in what we're doing. Then send a direct video to them to say to introduce myself and set, and ask if they'd be up for having a discussion um, and sort of just talk briefly about what we can do to help them and that kind of thing. So it's do very you, personalized. Do you, do you record that for each person? Yes, originally for every single one. It's not like a big automated thing that's one generic video that gets sent out. It's Love very that. it's very personalized to say, hi, Sandra, hi, or hi, John. Notice that you commented on our video this week. Really pleased you like that. That was really fun to shoot. Um, notice that you work for this company doing this. You're the exact type of company we, that we could help. We've worked with XYZ brands that you may have heard of. We've helped them achieve XYZ. Would be great to have a brief chat. Um, and, and, and also to like mention and say, um, by the way, if you've got all your marketing resources covered or if you don't work with agencies, that's absolutely fine. Apologies if this is taking your time. It's, it's kind of that thing to just be polite knowing that people's time is um, precious and we don't want to just be there annoying them. It's like you've shown yeah. signs that you're interested in working with us. One, you're the type of person who makes the decisions to work with a company like ours too. And three, you work for a brand that we can actually genuinely help. And we've got examples of how we've helped similar brands. So do you know, what, that... I'm really interested in this because this, this is a similar version of what you've just said is on my roadmap for Q4 of what I want to start implementing. And it was very much in line with what we we're talking about the soapbox stuff earlier. It's like, I, I wanted to do that. And I've been following a guy who's been talking about personalizing videos and his name's totally escaping me. Hmm. So you talking about that, I find incredibly interesting because that's, I'm kind of excited now. We've won some significant... how, how, how successful do you find it? Very. So we've won some, like the, the podcast title is, like I said, like how we won 50K in a week because we won a 50K contract from sending one of those videos. That was one of many new new clients that we've won through doing that and the reason it's so effective is because it's highly targeted yeah it's highly relevant to the person because where i am like choosing these people based on those three things that are they ticking those three boxes have they shown signs of working with us and they're not cold either it's not that annoying cold thing of hey we don't know each other but it's someone who's probably been watching our content for six yeah. months to two years who's highly warmed up and interested in what we do and they're, they're then just showing those signs that, oh, they are actually more interested at the moment. And then it's a case of just sending that message. Because there's lots of people who are out there, uh, like lurkers, who are yeah. probably interested in working with you, but haven't quite got in touch. And then it's a case of just making that happen. I absolutely love that. That's, um, I think that's probably the best takeaway from this whole podcast, that, that one thing. Cool. Um, <laughs> We've done a whole podcast episode on it. I uh, did. You? Um, I'll, I'll share that. What is the fifty k one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll send it to you after this, but it's um, okay. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll find out which one it is for you and, and send it across. Okay, perfect. Um, penultimate question then: When you think about the future, what mm -hmm. do you see? Good question. That podcast episode, by the way, is episode eighty five. Okay. Um, the business anchors podcast. The future. What do I see? I think lots of things from, from a marketing perspective. Um, we we recently did a podcast on this. V vertical short form video content is the way platforms are going. 
Yeah. Social platforms leave clues. And if all of them are leaving the same clues, it, as, a, as a marketer, you need to open your eyes and think, hmm, something's happening here. The clue they're all leaving us at the minute is they're pushing users to focus on the parts of their platforms where they distribute short form video content, short form vertical video content, like yeah. YouTube shorts, like Insta reels, like TikTok, yeah. uh, you know, Snapchat. So uh, what does the future look like? The future looks like short form vertical video content in terms of marketing from a marketing perspective, um, if you're asking me what the future looks like for us, we're on a we're on a journey to we've got a, a 10 year 2030 plan where we're growing the business to a to a certain kind of level. We're on that journey. That's what the future looks like for You've us. Got a 30 year plan? <laughs> no, no, a 20 a 10 year plan starting from 2020 oh, sorry. and ending in 2030. Yeah, go on, 30 oh, right, year okay. plan. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> No, not that. Don't think that far ahead. We'll kind of do actually, but not that planned out. Um, so yeah, that's what the future looks like. Okay. Right. Last question. Uh, I'm conscious of taking up all your time this afternoon. Um, so the last question. So for those who are listening, as opposed to watching, uh, Dan is wearing a diary of a CEO baseball cap. So you are going to be well aware of where I pinched this last question. <laughs> so every every time I speak to someone, I get them to ask a question for the future guest mm -hmm. and then I get that so I, I will then ask you after the episode to share me a yeah. question that I can ask the next, que ask mm -hmm. the next guest um, my previous guest wanted to know uh, your three favourite music albums of all time that's a really good question uh, hmm Okay. And the reason I love it, I'll give you a bit of time to think about it, but the reason yeah. I love this question is because in previous episodes, it was getting quite deep. Yeah. Like we, had, we, had, we had questions about death, about um, oh my God. business. And I was just like, oh my days. Like, I don't, I don't want to mm. keep asking people these like, super <laughs> yeah, serious deep. questions. And um, then the last guest, she was like, oh, she was really lovely. And she was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to ask about music albums. And I was like, brilliant. <laughs> she goes, can I ask that? I was like, yeah, of course you can. So I like, um, there's a few rats. So Chasing Status, More Than A Lot. Okay. That's one that um, brings back, all of them kind of bring back memories. That brings back uni memories. Um, uh, I don't know the, the name of the album, but Daniel Bedingfield. Do you remember him? Interesting. <laughs> I literally know uh, he's, got, he's got, yeah, a few songs that I know all the words to and love screaming that in my car. Um, is, that, is that because that album reminds you of something yeah i think it was like growing up teenage years uh yeah um yeah I remember listening to that when i was a teenager so uh and third one uh again i don't i don't necessarily listen to albums but well, that was uh, why it was an interesting question because mm. she's like oh you know i was like thinking i mean i used to listen to albums all the time when i was younger but now spotify's around it's like that's what I was going to say. I, I'm a playlist guy. I, I guess someone I listen to a lot at the gym, uh, which is a, kind of maybe a curveball, Bugsy Malone. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Grime artist, Bugsy Malone. Love listening to his songs when I'm in the gym. <laughs> so there's three, there's three completely random ones for you that I enjoy. I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't think anyone who's listening to this would have picked those three <laughs> albums for you. <laughs> what would they have picked, Chris? I don't know. I don't know. I just 
I don't know. It's the beauty of the question, I guess, right? Because you never know. You yeah. never know. That's a good question, um, though. Dan, listen, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're busy and I know you've got lots on, so I appreciate you taking the time. Um, it's great for me to chat to people who I see knocking around on online and I'm, I'm loving the stuff you and your brother are putting out. I think it's... When I look at it and I think I'm kind of almost jealous because I was like, oh, that's a thought. You, you guys are taking the marketing approach that I think is the way it should be done, mm. um, which is why I sort of, I sort of emailed you because I thought that, that's what I want to hear about and the way you do it. Because I think there's a lot of people doing stuff that's not like that. And I mm. think that I think you guys are really on the right path in what you're doing. And I think you, I've got no doubt in my mind that you're going to be successful with it and just go from strength to strength. Thanks, Chris. That does mean a lot. And I think this, I really love the structure of this podcast. It's been way more fun to do this than most other ones I do. So thanks for making it interesting with the questions. Oh, I'd love to hear that too. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. <laughs> that was 10Q Interview with Dan Knowlton. If you made it to the end, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Great guest, wasn't he? I bet there's some real stuff you're going to take away from it. Feel free to share those things with me uh, or Dan on any of our social channels at 10Q Interview everywhere. That's all from me for now. Make sure you subscribe to wherever you are listening to this and the next 10Q Interview episode will be live very, very soon. So look out for it when your feeds. Thank you. Bye.